get to John chapter 9 this morning. John chapter 9, progressing through, working through slowly the book of John, but we are in John chapter 9 today. You know, um, throughout our country, in every state, every county, um, there are things called courthouses. And, and in those courthouses, there are things called courtrooms. And uh, something that takes place all the time in those courtrooms are there are people on trial. And uh, that person's on trial, and there are also a couple other people um, in that courtroom, a prosecuting attorney and a defense attorney. Now, the job of the prosecutor or the defense attorney is to make a case either to find that person guilty or not guilty. Now, they will use a lot of different things to make their case, but one thing they will use to, whether to um, support the defense or to support the prosecution, they will use somebody called a witness, okay? This person saw something. They, they have firsthand information. So that witness is called into the courtroom to testify, either for the defense or the prosecution, to testify of a truth that they have witnessed, that they have seen, and they are giving testimony of that. And they're testifying, and they, became, and they become a witness to what they know is truth. You and I, as a believer in Jesus Christ, as a Christian, guess what you are called to do? to testify, but what's the W word I'm looking for? To witness, okay? Jesus tells the disciples in Acts chapter one, he just comes out and he point blanks, gives them their calling. You will be my witnesses. Not if you get around to it, if you feel like it. Here's the suggestion, guys. No, he goes, you will be my witnesses. As a Christian, it's like Jesus is calling you into the courtroom and you are to testify on his behalf. You are to be his witness. You are to be a person who testifies to the truth of who Jesus is and what he has done. That's your calling. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, that is your calling. You can't get out of it, okay? That's why here at Harvest, we have four W's. And we say, as a believer in Jesus Christ, here's what you do as a believer. You worship, you walk, you work. What's the last one? And you witness. Witness as a believer in Jesus Christ. You give testimony and you testify to the truth of who Jesus is. Now, I really wish I could stand up here and tell you and say that if you witness, it will be easy. I wish I could sit up here and tell you every time you begin a spiritual conversation with someone, they will just put a smile on their face and they will exclaim, where have you been my whole life? Because I have just been waiting for someone to tell me about Jesus. I wish I could say that. But that's usually not the case. Usually, it's the other way. People don't want to hear what you have to say. And they give you a hard time about it. I wish I could say it was easy, but a lot of times, being a witness is hard. And it's difficult 
frustrating and challenging, all right? And that's what we are going to see here in John chapter 9, because when you truly witness and you begin to share your faith with people, here's what you're going to come to face with, the unbelief of that person. Here in John chapter 9, let me give a recap of where we were two weeks ago. Did you guys enjoy Adam's message last week? Wasn't he just, I mean, I thought he just brought that. You know, I really appreciate you preaching that, and that was just good stuff. And, and so I need to give a recap of where we were two weeks ago, beginning with John chapter 9, verses 1 through 12. Remember, Jesus has healed a man who had been born, born blind since birth. This guy is an adult. We don't know how old he is. He could be in his 20s, his 30s. We don't know. But he is an adult, and he's been, he was born blind, so he's been blind his entire life. And Jesus comes up to this guy. He spits on the ground, makes a little mud, puts it on the guy's eyes, and Jesus tells him, I want you to go to the pool of Siloam, wash in it, and then come back. And the guy goes, and he washes in the pool, and it says when he came back, he was seen. A miracle. Jesus heals this guy who had been blind from birth. Now, if you take a look with me in John chapter 9, let me just again recap what happened with this guy. So in verse 7, it says he, he, he went and he washed and he came back seen. Now look at verse 8. It says, the neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit here and beg? And some said it is, but another said, no, it's just somebody like him. But he kept saying, I am the man. And so they said to him, then how were your eyes opened? And he answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go and wash. I went and washed and I received my sight. What's this guy doing at this moment? What is he? He's witnessing. He's witnessing to what Jesus did in his life. He's witnessing to the greatness of Christ. He's like, all I know is I was blind since birth. Jesus, this guy named Jesus, don't really know a lot about him, but here's what I do know. He made some mud, put it in my eyes. I went and washed, and now I see. And he's witnessing to these people who used to know him. Isn't that a great story? I could preach that message right there, because that's a great witness. This is who I used to be, but this is what Jesus has done. And that's what this guy is saying to the, his, his neighbors and the people who knew him. Yeah, that, that was me, but this is where I'm at now. And it's all because of Jesus. Well, now some of these people take him to the Pharisees, to the religious leaders to show them what has happened. And that is where we're picking this up. This guy now is going to come face to face with the Pharisees, the religious leaders. And he's going to come face to face with their unbelief. And so I've entitled my message today, Facing Unbelief. And I'm going to look at four things when you are facing unbelief, what you need to be ready for. So here's the first thing. When you are facing unbelief, be ready for the blindness of unbelief. Be ready for the blindness of unbelief. So starting there in verse 13, it says, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. It says they, 
My assumption is the they is referring to verse 8, the neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar. I'm assuming there were some people here that were like, man, we got to take you to the Pharisees. Now, we don't know why they took him to the Pharisees. I've got a couple of assumptions. Um, it doesn't tell us in the text why they took him. Here's a couple of ideas that I came up with. One is that these people were so blown away that Jesus had healed this man. This guy had been blind since birth. And they're like, dude, we need to take you to the Pharisees, man, because they're, they're a bunch of, you know, goody two-shoes, religious people. They need to hear what Jesus did. I don't think that was the reason, though. Could have been, but I don't think so. Here's what I believe is probably the real reason why these people took him to the Pharisees. Because when we get to verse 22, we're going to read how the Pharisees actually almost made it a law to say that if anybody testifies about who Jesus is, they will be kicked out of the synagogue. So people now, you got to remember the, 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 the Pharisees, the religious leaders, really had a strong arm on the behavior of the people. All right? They really tried to moderate how people behaved. And, and so what these religious guys did was they, they, they like, put parameters on what people could do. And now they're saying, hey, if you believe in this Jesus, if you testify about him, you're losing your place in the synagogue. So I think these people were like, ooh, if we don't say something, because we're going to find out that this healing actually takes place on the Sabbath. And I'm thinking they were scared. They're like, if these Pharisees find out that we knew this guy was healed on the Sabbath, that we were like all fired up about it, they're going to kick us out of the synagogue. So you know what? Let's just be safe and sorry. Let's take them to the Pharisees. Let them deal with it. So I think these people, out of fear, took them, took this guy to the Pharisees. Now look at verse 14. It says, now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. Make note of that. It's the Sabbath day, because that's going to be important. Verse 15, it says, So the Pharisees again asked him how he received the sight. Now, you notice it says they again asked him. Now, we haven't seen them ask him already. I think there's probably some time here when they took him. How many of you know it's probably like they just didn't drop him off at the front door and walk away? I'm thinking they took him to the Pharisees. And they had a conversation with the Pharisees. They were like, hey, um, Earl here, he's the guy that's been blind since birth. And that guy that everybody has been hearing about, Jesus, healed them. So I'm thinking the Pharisees had already heard the facts. And they had already kind of had a conversation with this guy, probably asking him, is this true what they're saying? Yes, it is. I was blind. Now they're asking him again. And it says there in verse 15. So the Pharisees again asked him how he received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes. I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees, verse 16, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. There it is. This guy cannot be from God. Because he keeps breaking the Sabbath. And breaking the Sabbath is this. If you keep looking at the text, um, verse 16, so this man's not from God. He keeps, doesn't keep the Sabbath. But others said, 
How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was division among them. So even the Pharisees were like, some of them were like, well, I'm not sure. But the others were like, this guy is a sinner. Now here's where the blindness comes in. They have a man standing before him who gives a testimony about some guy named Jesus making some mud out of spit, puts it in my eyes, I wash in a pool, and I can see. Let me ask you something, guys. If somebody was brought up to this standing right next to me, and they made this, and you knew them, and you, you like, I, I've known him He's, he's, he's been disabled for life. But he comes, this person comes in and he, they make a declaration. They go, here's what this guy did for me. He, he touched my body. I couldn't walk. I couldn't see. I couldn't talk. But now I can. How many of us in this room would be like, nah, don't believe it. But you've seen this guy before. And you know he was paralyzed. You know he was blind. You know he couldn't. But yet now they can. Would any of us really be so like, nope, don't believe it. Or would be like, wow, amazing. We would be blown away by that. Not these Pharisees. They were so blinded, they couldn't see the miracle right in front of them. They were so blinded by their, by their own sin by their own selfishness, by their own thing. They were so blinded toward who Jesus was. They were so blinded to not wanting to, to accept who Jesus was. All they could see was Jesus healed on when? The Sabbath. They were so bent out of shape that Jesus heals on the Sabbath. They can't see the miracle. If you rewind three chapters back to chapter five, didn't we see this already? Jesus healed a man who had been paralyzed for how many years? Do you remember? 38 years. Oh, 30. Roger's just like, ah, missed by one. <laughs> 38 years. And now he's walking. And as soon as the Pharisees saw this guy, do you remember what they said? You're not supposed to be carrying your mat on the Sabbath. But they knew he had been paralyzed. And they were so blinded by what Jesus did on the Sabbath, they couldn't see the miracle. And here we are again. They can't see the awesome work Jesus did. They can't see what Jesus is all about. Their blindness, spiritual blindness, robbed them of that. And all they can focus on was the Sabbath. Let me ask you, is it any different than today? It may not be about the Sabbath, but how many people are so blinded, spiritually blinded, they cannot see what Jesus does? They, they, they cannot see who Jesus is about. They cannot see what Jesus wants to do. This guy was testifying, I was blind from birth. And Jesus made mud, put on my eyes. He told me to wash, and now I see. You would think these Pharisees, like, get it, but they can't. And this guy is saying, here's what Jesus has done in my life. Let me ask you, have you ever tried to tell somebody, here's what God has done in my life? Here's what Jesus has done in my life. And people look at you and go, so? They don't get it. 
They, they, don't, they don't want to get it or they can't understand it. Why? The blindness. Spiritual blindness. They just can't accept what Jesus wants to do. They don't want to accept it. They are spiritually blind to just their own thing. Some people, all they can see is their own thing, their own selfishness. They, they, they're blinded by their own sin that they cannot see what Jesus came to do. I mean, have you ever tried to have a spiritual conversation and tried to tell somebody they are a sinner? People look at you and go, what? No, I'm not. Because we think sin is really bad stuff. But someone who just thinks, oh, sure, maybe I've lied here or there. Sure, maybe I've, you know, I've cheated on my taxes. Or sure, maybe you know, I, I, I cheated on, you know, I, I've done this. I, but I'm not that bad of a person. How can you say I'm a sinner? Because they can't see it. They can't see their true condition. These Pharisees could not see their true condition. And they could not see the miracle right in front of them because they could not see who Jesus really was. This guy was facing the blindness of the unbelief in these Pharisees. And the same thing happens to you and me. When you try to witness to someone, just be ready. And, and it's frustrating just be ready for when you think, you, I mean, you're trying to show people what, what, what God's done in your life. You're trying to just give a simple, basic explanation about who Jesus is. And some people don't get it. Over and over, you try to explain it. And you walk away scratching your head going, I don't get it. How can they not understand it? How can they not believe it? I don't, I don't, I, how can they know where I used to be? They, this person grew up with me. How can they not see the change in my life? I don't get, that's frustrating. But just be ready. When you go to witness to someone, you will come face to face with the blindness of unbelief. Here's the second thing. When facing unbelief, be ready for this one. The fear of unbelief. Be ready to face the fear of unbelief. Let's look at verse 18. It says, The Jews did not believe that he had been born blind and received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight. So now they're like, okay, man, dude, we just, they're so blind. They're like, nah, we don't even believe you were born blind. Listen, I hear somebody get on the phone, call his parents, because if anybody's going to tell us the truth, it'll be them. So they call in his parents, verse 19, and they ask them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? Now look at what his parents say. His parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind. That's an absolute truth. Yep, he was born blind. But, verse 21, how he now sees, we do not know. Nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He's of age. He'll tell you. They're like, I'm out of this conversation. We're not going any farther. Hey, by, uh, let's take a straw poll. By a raise of hands, how many of you think his parents are telling the truth right then and there? A couple of you. Okay? I'm going to say those of you who think they're telling the truth, 
you're wrong. <laughs> Here's why. As a child, if you had any kind of disability, you were blind, you were paralyzed, um, couldn't speak, anything. Let's say for 30 years, from birth to the age of 30. On your 30th birthday, a miracle happens in your life. You wake up one morning and you're paralyzed. One day you flip your legs out and now you can walk. On your 30th birthday, you haven't been able to see anything. And on your 30th birthday, you wake up and now you can see. Let me ask you, who would be one of the first people you would tell? Your parents! You would be on the phone. You would be at their house. You would be walking in if you were paralyzed. You would be like, Mom and Dad, look at what happened to me. You, you do remember I was born blind. I know you were. How in the world are you seeing? Here's how I would. This guy by the name Jesus, he made some mud, put it in my eyes, and he told me to go wash in the pool of Siloam, and now I see. I'm thinking he had that conversation with his mom and dad because all the neighbors knew. All the people who knew him knew. So why would we think mom and dad would be excluded? You see, mom and dad knew. But here's what kept them from telling the truth. Fear. They were afraid of the Pharisees. That's why they were like, yeah, he was born blind, but we don't know how. We don't know who. Ask him. Put it on his shoulders. Don't, don't blame us. They were wanting to pass the buck on to him because they were afraid. And their fear kept them from speaking. Their fear kept them from, yeah, they spoke the truth that he was born blind. We are his parents, but they're not going to confess that it was done by Jesus. They're not going to admit that what he told us that, yeah, he, they're not going to confess to that. Their fear keeps them quiet. Let me ask you, does your fear ever keep you quiet? God opens a door of opportunity for you to witness to someone. A spiritual conversation is sitting right there. Do you ever not say anything? Because here's the thing. Our fear keeps us quiet to witness to someone because... Um, we don't know what they're going to say about us. We don't know if they will accept or reject us. What will they think about me if all of a sudden now they find out I'm this Jesus freak? Our fear keeps us from witnessing because of the fear of people. We are afraid that I may get made fun of. I am afraid that somebody will say something negative about me. And so what happens is our fear keeps us from being a witness. Our fear keeps us from seeing the opportunities. 
Our fear keeps us from walking through a door that God opens. God opens a lot of doors for you and I to witness. But the question is, do we allow our fear to keep us from going through those doors? Now look at verses 22 and 23. Here is the real reason that we know his parents knew this, but they didn't say anything. Look at verse 22. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. The, meaning the, the, the religious leaders, the Pharisees. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess to be the, the Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. You see, his parents knew this, but they were afraid of being kicked out of the synagogue. So because of their fear, they're like, we're not going to say anything. If we say something, if we say, yeah, we believe that Jesus healed our son, we will lose our place in the synagogue. Now, let's just be real here for a moment. Let's be authentic. That would have been a real concern for a Jewish person back then. To get kicked out of the synagogue was a serious issue. All right. And so that would have been a legitimate fear. But here's what we also know is Fast forward to when Jesus is crucified, resurrects and ascends into heaven, and the early church starts. Guess who was the, who, guess who were the, what group of people were the founding people of the Christian church? Jews. Jewish people. Okay? It was Jewish people that first started the church, all right? Because even if you remember when after Peter preached, he was preaching that during the time when, the, when Israel, when Jerusalem was filled with Jewish people and 3,000 Jews came to know Christ. And here's what the early church come to discover really fast. People are going to hate us. And they found out really fast. These two, this mom and dad were afraid to lose their place in the synagogue. The early church, they just didn't lose their place in the synagogue. They lost their jobs. They lost their homes. They lost the towns in which they lived in. Because if you remember Peter, when you, write, when you read the letter of Peter, it says, to the saints that are scattered. They lost their homes. They lost their places where they live. They lost their freedom. The book of Hebrews chapter 11 tells us that people were imprisoned. Paul, a Jew, was imprisoned. How many times do you read in the book of Acts? How many times Peter was imprisoned? And guess what else they lost? Their lives. The early church discovered what it meant to be a witness for Jesus Christ. They found out and they realized if we truly believe in this man called Jesus, 
If we truly believe that he is the savior of the world, that he died for our sin, we truly believe that he was resurrected, we truly believe that we have eternal life, we understand that if we start to walk out and we start to declare, we start to testify, and we start to witness, this is who Jesus is, we're losing stuff. And they understood that. Well, Jim, that was the early church. That's not us today. Exactly. Because today, we are afraid of losing things. So I want to be honest. I think as Christians, we're so afraid of losing something, we won't speak up. We won't say anything. But can I tell you, there are Christians around this, around this world who are losing their jobs, losing their freedoms, losing their lives because of their declaration of who Jesus Christ is. As Americans, we are so sheltered. But we need to understand, here's the reality, I think, for us as Christians in America. We're afraid that we may, if I, if I become a witness for Jesus, if I truly share my faith with someone, I may lose a friendship. I, I may lose a relationship. Well, I, I may lose my credibility or my popularity in the community. I may lose a job client. And whatever, what other things that we may lose? We think that, well, I, I don't want people to think I'm weird. I don't want to lose my friendships with my coworkers. I don't want to lose my, you know, as a teenager, my boyfriend or my girlfriend. I, I, I'm not going to say anything. I, I'm just going to, I'm going to keep my, my, my Christianity and my, myself and not the fear of unbelief. It is real, and it steals so much from us. And so just be ready. That fear is going to creep up. But the question is, is can you push through that fear? Here's the third thing. When facing unbelief, be ready for this one, the stubbornness of unbelief. The stubbornness of unbelief. So again, verse 24 so for the second time, they called the man. So they had talked to him once, dismissed him, brought his parents in, dismissed them, brought this guy back. And the second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. That give glory to God means that it's, it's a oath to tell the truth. It says, we know that this man, I find it interesting that the Pharisees um, are so um, bent on, on not liking Jesus, they won't even use his name. This man, okay? It's just this man. And they all know, who, who, they all know the big elephant in the room, but they are so resistant to even say his name. We know that this man is a sinner. And the guy answers in verse 25, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, I was blind and now I see. That's a message right there, isn't it? That's the song, that amazing grace that we all sing. If you know Jesus Christ, that was you. You were not physically blind, but you were spiritually blind. Just like these Pharisees, spiritually blind. But it's when you come to the place where you're just like, wow, I get it. It's like Jesus puts the salve on our soul and then our eyes are open and we get it. There was a time that you were spiritually blind and you rejected the truth too. 
There was a time that somebody used to witness to you. And because of your spiritual blindness, you're like, talk to the hand. Don't want to hear it. Don't need it. I'm okay. I'm good. I'm going to heaven. Everybody's going to heaven. I don't need that Jesus stuff. But the moment Christ came into your heart and your eyes were open, you were like, I get it now. Now I know why you were talking to me. I was blind. I couldn't see. And Jesus opens up my heart. I hear the truth, accept the truth, and now I see. That's where this guy is. And he's telling him this. Look at verse 26. And they said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? I love his answer. I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? You can almost kind of hear the frustration, but I'm going to show you the next point. His naivety is in there too. He's, he's, he's frustrated and naive at the same time. He's frustrated. He's like, he's like, dudes, man, I have been standing here for 15 minutes to half an hour, an hour. I don't know how long he's been there, but he's like, I've been standing here telling you time and time again, here's how it happened. This guy by the name of Jesus puts mud on my eyes. He tells me to go wash, and now I see. I don't know how else I can tell you this, but I am declaring to you, Jesus did it. Now, we don't get it. We don't buy it. In fact, if you look back at verse 17 and verse 18, in verse 17, it says, So so they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? And he said, He's a prophet. I mean, this guy's just declaring everything about Jesus. But look at verse 18. The Jews did not believe. They didn't even believe that he was blind. These Jews, these these, um, Pharisees, not only are they blind, but they're so stubborn. They don't want to believe this thing. They, they keep asking him, tell us again. Um, I know you said it before, but we're not getting this. We're, we're really stubborn on this. How did, what did he do to you? He put mud on your eyes and now you see. Let's have a conversation, guys. I'm not getting this. Bring it back in. Tell us again. <laughs> because we're not getting this. This is not, there's no way. There's no way this guy did this to you. Yes, he did. This is what Jesus has done in my life. But the Pharisees were too blind and too stubborn. They didn't want to hear it. They didn't want to get it. Questions for you and me. Have you ever met stubborn people when it comes to sharing your faith with them? Not, you see, spiritual blindness causes spiritual stubbornness. You spiritual blindness blinds us to our own sin. Spiritual blindness blinds us to the reality of our sin. And so because I can't see my sin, when somebody tries to tell me I am a sinner, I get stubborn on that. And that's why you hear people go, you know what? Everybody's going to heaven. Everybody's okay. If I'm a good person, how can you say I'm not going to heaven? And we get stubborn on that. Because people cannot and do not want to hear I may be wrong. Maybe I, got, maybe I don't have the answer. And so when you are really, stu- I mean, anybody in here but me ever get stubborn? Do you ever just want your way? And you want, always want to be right and you never want to be wrong? And you just, and you will just, I mean, you will dig your heels in. And you're like, move me. Because we get stubborn. These Pharisees were stubborn. 
And guess what? You will talk to people and you will become frustrated because you'll sit there and go, I don't get it. Why, why don't they want to hear it? Why don't they want to believe me? Why can't they see what Jesus has done in my life? And why do they keep rejecting it? Why do they keep saying no when I ask them to church? Why do they just keep, I mean, refusing it, resisting it, opposing it, don't want it? Why? Stubbornness. Spiritual stubbornness. And when you and I begin to witness, you're going to face that spiritual blindness and you're going to face that, 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 that stubbornness of unbelief. Again, just look at your own mind. Were you ever stubborn spiritually? How long did it take you to come to know Christ? Did it take more than once? Did it take someone telling you maybe three or four times? Did somebody pray for you and seek after you for more than a year? And then, boom, the light come on. Spiritual stubbornness. And then lastly, here's the last thing you and I will face. When facing unbelief, be ready for this, the animosity of unbelief. The animosity of unbelief. So again, verse 27, he answered them, I have already told you, and you will not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? And I love his answer. Do you want to become his disciples too? There's, the, there's his, him being so naive, okay? I, I love that. He's just like, he's, in his mind, he's like, well, these guys are asking so many questions. I bet they want to come to know him too. He doesn't even have a clue that these guys are so hostile toward Jesus. And so he, he's, he, he, in his naive sense, he begins and he's like, do you want to become his disciples too? And now look at verse 28. And they reviled him saying, you are his disciple. He says, they say, but we are disciples of Moses. Now you notice they said they reviled him. The NIV says they hurled insults at him, which I think is probably a better uh, translation because the word revile comes from a Greek word, which means to slander or to insult strongly, okay? So this guy, he, he's, just, he's, just, he's just been having a great day. And now all of a sudden, I, I love this, these religious leaders are insulting him calling him names. We just, we just get, they reviled him. I would love to have, I, w I wish that would have been more detail there. Like, what did they say to him? What kind of names did they call him? How did they strongly insult him? But that's what they're doing to him now. And so they go on and says, we are disciples of Moses. Look at verse 29. It says, and we know that God has spoken to Moses, but as far as this man, we don't even know where he comes from. I mean, they're just going off. And in verse 30, it says, the man answered. He says, why? This is an amazing thing. He's about to take these so-called religious leaders, these Pharisees, to school. He says, you do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. This guy is not a, I mean, 
He was a beggar, blind beggar. So I'm pretty sure he didn't go to school. He probably had no education. He was not schooled in the Torah. He was not schooled in Jewish tradition, Jewish background. But yet this guy is bringing up Old Testament teaching. And he's probably had enough just to go, wait a minute, time out. What you guys are saying is nonsense. He's like, because I know enough that in history, there has been no man who has opened up the eyes of a blind man. He goes, I know that can never happen. He goes, all I know is this guy shows up on my doorstep and he puts mud in my eyes. I go wash in a pool and now I see. All I know is if this guy was as bad of a sinner as you are saying he is, there's no way that would have happened. None. This guy's just figuring it out. He's like, this guy is somebody because of what he did in my life. He changed me forever. He, he, he did a miracle in my life, and I can't explain it, and I don't know much about him. I don't know where he comes from, but all I do know is I was blind, but now I see, and you guys are so weird. Uh, paraphrasing. That's the Jim Shannon version right there. But he's just going off, and they take, he takes these guys to school. Now, you would think these mature, well-grounded, worded men of God would hear from him. But look at verse 34, and they answered him, you were born in utter sin, and you teach us? Now, you remember, when they said you were born in utter sin, do you remember at the beginning of chapter 9 when I preached this a couple weeks ago, I said that the, when, the fair, when Jesus and his disciples came onto this guy, the question that the disciples asked is right here. Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So when they say you were born in utter sin, they're like, you were blind at birth. That means you were a sinner. Your parents were a sinner. That's why you were born blind. And they're like, you, you, can't, you shouldn't even be talking to us right now. You shouldn't even be in the same room with us. And you teach us. And look what they do to him. And they cast him out. Actually, the NIV says he, they hurled him. Basically, the, the, uh, they became bouncers. I don't think they just were like, hey, get out. I, 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 I pictured that they, they grabbed him, threw him out back into the street. You see, their animosity toward this guy wasn't toward him, but who? Jesus. They, the, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, had so much animosity toward Jesus, they took it out on this poor guy. You see, the reason why they had such animosity toward Jesus is simple. Jesus kept teaching one message, and they didn't want to hear it. The message that Jesus keeps repeating over and over, as we have seen in the, the Gospel of John, is Jesus keeps telling them and people, you all are sinners. All of us are sinners. Every single person is a sinner, including you religious Pharisees. You're sinners, and your sin makes you unrighteous before God. And you can't merit your way to God. You can't get to God's kingdom by what you do, by how well you perform, by your religiousness. And so all of you are going to be separated from God. And if you want to get to heaven, if you want to see God, you're only going to be able to do it through one way, and that's through me. You've got to believe in me. 
You got to believe that I am the light of the world and nobody will walk in darkness if you believe in me. You got to believe that I am the only way. And if you believe in me, you will have eternal life. And Jesus kept preaching that message. And that's the message that offended the Pharisees so badly. Because in their mind, because here's the dilemma for the Pharisees. If they believe the message that Jesus was saying, they got a problem. Because if they believe it, they got to humble themselves. And they got to humble themselves to the point of going, he's right. We're wrong. We are sinners. And they didn't want to do that. Because in their mind, you're the sinner, Jesus, and not us. Because they believed Hey, we're religious, the religious leaders. They believed, hey, we do so many deeds. We earn and merit our way to God. And and we are ancestors of Abraham. We are for certain going to heaven. There's no way we're missing that. We are shoe-ins. And that's why they wanted to destroy Jesus. You destroy the messenger, you destroy the message. And that's what they wanted to get rid of. And that's why they were so angry and so hostile and had so much animosity toward this guy because of Jesus. Listen, that's going to happen to you. If you start to witness and truly witness for Christ, guess what? There is going to be people, you know, hey, don't shoot the messenger. They shoot the messenger. Because there are people who don't want to hear they are a sinner. There are people who don't want to hear about Jesus. And so guess what they are going to do to you? Because of their animosity toward him, they are going to ridicule you. They are going to mock you. They are going to make fun of you. They are going to slander you. They, are going, they will attack you. They will do whatever they can toward you so they can avoid the message. Because of spiritual blindness and spiritual stubbornness and spiritual animosity, you will be the target. Because people don't want to hear this. They don't want to hear that truth. So the question you and I have got to ask is this. In view of spiritual blindness, in view of the stubbornness in view of the hostility and the animosity. Do we give up? I don't know about you, but anybody other than me get frustrated at witnessing? Do you ever just get frustrated at talking to a family member, a coworker, a friend, whoever, and you've just been trying to just witness to them. You just try to share with them. And every time you try to bring up the topic, every time you, you try to bridge this, man, it just seems like they just, you know, just throw the daggers at you. They just put up the roadblock. They keep resisting. They keep rejecting. They keep saying no. In fact, they keep attacking you. Do you ever feel like I'm, I'm done? Let them go to hell. I'm safe. I'm good. I'm not going to talk. Forget that witnessing thing. I'm tired of getting beat up. Is that what we do? What answer do you think I'm going to give you? No. We can't give up. So what do you do? Two things. Keep praying. How many of you know the only thing that breaks through a spiritual wall is a spiritual element. 
And that spiritual element is the Holy Spirit. And so what you've got to do before you ever witness to someone is you've got to be praying for that person. You've got to be praying, God, man, I've tried. And I've tried. And God, I've tried. And I'm telling you, God's going to say, here's what God will keep saying. Keep trying. But keep praying. You've got to keep praying. Just keep asking God, open the eyes of their heart. God, soften their heart. I'm telling you, you know, how many of you know um, free will is one of the hardest things to break? Jesus tells us, he goes, I will stand at the door and knock and knock and knock until that person answers the door. He doesn't force anybody to come to believe in him. He doesn't force anybody to change their life. He doesn't, he doesn't force anybody to say, I need to accept Jesus today. He won't. He wants you to accept him because you've just, I need him. And so the only thing that will open the mind, and here's, here's how you got to, here's a way to pray it. God, change their mind. Convict their heart. Challenge their will. God, show them something that I, I, I haven't been able to show them. God, I pray that when I do say something, something may trigger this time. You got to keep praying. But here's the second thing. You've got to keep saying. Got to keep having a conversation. You got to keep talking. You got to keep inviting someone to church. You got to keep doing, because here's the thing. The Bible tells us that we are to plant, we are to water, and God makes it grow. But here's the thing. You don't know if you're planting or if you're watering. You don't know if... When do you know the person is coming to Christ? If you were to go home today and have a conversation with your best friend, and you've been witnessing for them for 10 years, can you say right here and right now and go, yep, today's the day. I'm going to go home and they're coming to Jesus. You have no idea. You could go home and have a conversation with your best friend and they may reject you like they have for 10 years or they may say, hey, tell me something more. You know what? I've been thinking about what you've said to me and man, it's been, it's been I don't know, it's just been stirring in my heart. You don't know when that heart, that, that, that blinded, the blinded eyes of the heart, when the stubborn heart, the hard heart finally cracks. You don't know. That's why you keep praying. That's why you keep saying. That's why you keep inviting. Keep going. Keep doing it. Keep on keeping on. Keep believing that when you face unbelief, something may change. Amen? Let's all stand. Let's get ready to close. If you would, just bow your heads with me. Let's pray. Father, we do praise you and thank you for the, the time in your word. And Father, if we're all honest, I, I believe it is. It gets frustrating to, to witness. And Lord, we do get fearful. And Lord, I would pray that you would help us to be bold in our witness. Help us to be staying in our witness. Lord, help us not to give up. Lord, help us to keep praying for, maybe it's a family member, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a coworker, maybe it's a spouse. Lord, what, whoever it may be, that Lord, help us to keep praying. Help us to keep 
saying something. Help us keep inviting people. God, help us to see that, that God, ultimately you bring that person to Christ. But God, we got to keep watering. We got to keep planting. We got to keep sowing. We got to keep doing our part. Lord, help us to have those doors of opportunities. And when we see them open, that we walk through them. Lord, help us to be that witness for you because it's about your glory. And we just thank you and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.